Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Thank you for listening. What we do here on this podcast is review each episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail. In addition to talking all things Trek, today we are reviewing Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 3, Choose to Live. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Slash Trekkies, starting with Cal Jones. How you doing, man? Glad to be here. Glad to be on Discussing Trek, talking about quality television. So, yes, <laughs> glad to be here, my friend. Quality television. Was that a pointed comment? It was indeed, but we'll save that for for another podcast, maybe. But glad, glad, glad to be here. Oh, man. And also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I agree with Cal. I am glad to be here. And I, too, am excited to talk about quality trick. Mm, okay. All right. All right. We won't, you know, dig into that one any because I know it will lead <laughs> to some weird places. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> also on the podcast, we have Jeremy Barrow. What's up, dude? Man, once again, echoing their sentiments, I'm glad to be here talking about quality. And I'm going to leave it there. And with that, we're going to get right into our review of Star Trek Discovery, Choose to Live. Choose to Live was written by Terry Hughes Burton. The episode was directed by Christopher J. Byrne. Burnman Tilly Hunt, the killer of a Starfleet officer as Stamets and the science team race against the clock to prevent the anomaly from killing anyone else. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle stations. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. Like always, we go to Cal Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. You never know. Cal Jones, what do you have for us this week, man? Okay, so I actually have a little bit of a longer uh beat than I've had in the past, so I'm just going to start it from the top. Choose to Live's writers craft a multi-layered story that branches and intertwines throughout the story. Living is represented by personal choices, governmental give and take, personal insight and reawakening of both a person and a people. Acquaintances start on the path to friendship while duty takes center stage. Whether you like every beat of the story or not, I don't think anyone could find fault in coherent storytelling that provides a logical conclusion while advancing the story forward. Or, to put it bluntly, a single shining episode that takes us where no flux has gone before. (laughs) Cal is still digging. Well, I guess this is just the start of it since we haven't done our Discussing Who review yet, but... Yeah, you're getting some of that uh, anguish out a little bit early as you rave about this episode of Star Trek. So I will tell you when we get into the actual, you know, summary in just a moment, but I'll, whenever you come back to me, why I'm so into this story. But, but yeah, those are my beats. All right. Jeremy, what is your high level view of this episode? This was a really good filler episode. And I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll cover more during the conversation. But it was it was a good filler episode. Did nothing to advance the plot though. Hmm. Uh. Hmm. So I'm going to say apologetically, Jeremy, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was a great episode, and I feel that it may have advanced the plot more than the last one. Mm. It was, and what I really liked about it. And it's hard to do this in shows and a lot, a majority of television fails when they try to carry multiple arcs in one episode and conclude them nicely. Like that, that's just difficult to do. And you see a lot of shows fail and they managed to do that really well in this episode and each arc, well, majority, <laughs> I think with that one, I think they all pretty much advanced the storyline well for me uh, and also gave me a lot of theory and conjecture. But overall, great episode. Jonathan Shorts, my friend. 
you could not have said that any better than what you just did. I'm sitting here going, yes, 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 the whole time you are saying what you're saying, not in the in the aspect per se of you disagreeing with Jeremy, but the talk of multiple storylines, etc. and so forth. You are spot on. You're 100% correct. And the reason I am so into this story is I didn't have time to watch this episode until about six o'clock Sunday night or yesterday as of this recording. So I sit down and I watch this full through first time, enjoyed it, made my notes, enjoyed it, liked it, etc. so forth. Then went into the finale of Doctor Who Flux. This is television of quality, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that's why I'm, I mean, that's why I'm like stuck on how good I think this was because I literally stopped watching this at 6.57 and started watching that three minutes later. And it, it, it felt like you had an adult writing quality television that turned into a kindergarten person scribbling words (laughs) on a paper. So dare I say, Cal is getting closer to becoming a tricky. Ooh. And not a Whovian? The plot thickens. The plot (laughs) thickens. And just to echo what everybody else has said, you know, you have these different storylines and oftentimes we talk about how that's so hard to resolve and still give we talked about in Lower Decks how sometimes we feel like each storyline didn't give full weight. But I will say, and that's not a dick to Lower Decks, but here I feel like this harkened back to what I felt was sort of like the TNG era of having these small B and C plots that advance the story, but also they all contained like the same theme. Yes. Which of these plots do we want to try to tackle first? I I, I want to say we kind of tackle the, and I don't mean this as an insult, but the like least important. That's what I was thinking. To the storyline, maybe. And, I, and that's hard to say because they all are very important to the storyline. But the current uh, problem we're having in this season, you know, what would be least important to that problem? So how about I spin it this way? Tell me what you think of this. Since we were just now talking about Gray and Adira, why don't we continue on their story and before we move on to the next stage? How about that? Yeah, let's do it. Well, Gray chooses to live on as a synth. You know, I have so many questions about how this works, and I guess we're just not going to get an explanation, but his body is finally done. It was cool seeing Guardian Z return in the hollow projection form to carry to help with the operation with Culber. But just thoughts on this storyline as Adira watched as Gray's consciousness is is grafted onto this synth body. And I don't know if there's a lot to garner here, but thoughts on the storyline in general and maybe even the possibility where we think some of this is going. Does anyone have any thoughts? I have a question, if you don't mind me asking, because this is something maybe I need to point toward Jonathan and, you know, Clarence, Jeremy, if you guys know the answer to this, I don't mean to not point it to you, but I'm thinking, Jonathan, you may be the person to have the answer here. My understanding of this symbiosis that occurs is they are in possession of the symbiote's knowledge so am I to understand that now that Gray is gone, that Adira won't have that knowledge anymore or will just not have Gray? I'm really confused on that. So can you help me out? So the way it works, you're partly right. Part of the symbiotic relationship is you share memories from the symbiont through all of its past hosts. But. There is also a physical connection, whereas this this symbiont is an actual being or species that's inside of Adira. Now, 
that symbiont was inside of Gray at one point, but after the accident, they had to transfer the symbiont because that, the ultimate goal of a trio of the trio society is the welfare of the symbiont, not the host. Okay. So if it comes to a decision between who lives, they'll sacrifice the host for the symbiont. So the symbiont, remember that early accident on the ship where Adira and Gray were in, I forget what the name of the ship and all that. Gray was severely injured. They transferred the little robots transferred the symbiont from Gray to Adira. So Adira now houses the symbiont and therefore also has those memories. Gray being the host still has those memories, but I'm as well confused because I don't know how Gray without getting an actual symbiont into the replacement body, how he would continue this process. You understand? Mm-hmm. My understanding of Trill is you have to have that symbiont in you. Now, I mean, of course, as a human, or I mean, as a, what I wouldn't call him a human, but I mean, you should still retain memories, right? But I mean, now those memories will kind of be distant and eventually fade because they're not your memories. So I'm sure, sure Gray still has those memories. How long will he keep them? I'm not sure. Well, I mean, that's still kind of up in the air. And they were very vague, like Clarence said in the beginning. It's just kind of hard to kind of grasp the concept of this transfer. And there is a lot of questions that I think they're going to have to answer at some point. Yeah. And I guess that's something we never really got a clear picture from, even in Picard. Is this transference of consciousness to digital form pretty much like the transporter conundrum? Does that mean they're dead and just recreated digitally in this body? I mean, and in, 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 as far as Gray and, and how, as far as he's concerned, he's been dead since the beginning of the show, pretty much. So it's it's a little confusing, but also intriguing at the same time. Yeah. I, mm, and yeah, it, it gets weird because, you know, by by Adira carrying the symbiont, Adira now has all of Gray's conscious memories. Yeah. Yeah. So technically, Adira could be Gray. You know, like, I mean, so weird. <laughs> it is weird. Like Jadzia Dax was actually, I mean, in a way was Curzon Dax. I mean, she was her own being, but essentially she was Curzon because yeah. she carried that symbiont. So in the same sense, Adira is gray. Ooh. I just don't understand how gray is going to continue. He wants to be, and actually he can be, so you don't have to be joined to be a, uh, because he wants to be a guardian. Yeah, a guardian. There you go. And the guardian, actually, and that's the thing. Guardians are not joined. Oh, well, that's perfect. So, yeah, that actually really does work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're going to have an issue when Grace starts wanting those memories. And I'm assuming those memories will fade. So I've, I've come to terms with the fact that I'm just not going to understand the technology and how this all works with the synth and the transference of the consciousness I don't think this was a route I would have, if I was a writer, this is not how I would have wanted to do it. If I wanted to bring Gray back, I think a hollow matrix would probably be a better idea because we've passed the point in the future where the hollow emitters are available. And I just feel like that's a better, to me, better storytelling option. Mm. While I agree with that, I will add that, I think from a writing perspective, they had to tie it in to the greater Star Trek universe, hence what's going on with Picard. I think that was the tie in there as opposed to the hollow uh, version, which I don't disagree with you. But what my mind keeps thinking is maybe the gray entity, and I mean that from the sense of the consciousness of gray never fully melded because of whatever accident it was. So maybe there there will be, because, because you never see Adira making reference to some of the previous symbiotes because it's always been communicating with Gray. Maybe the absence of Gray now will open up that depository of other tiles that are in there so then that might even create a rift between the two of them as they become their own separate entities again, perhaps. I love that idea. I love that idea. Yeah. 
I think it give a deer a little more confidence if they are able to access those additional memories that may have been that may have been complicated by them having such a close connection to Gray. So, Kyle, I'm totally on board with that. And I see drama there because you needed me so much before, but you really don't need me now. Hence, drama. Not saying not saying I'm trying to be drama worthy, but you know, just from storyline drama. And you're you're right. And the like you said, like you're referencing again, Gray no longer has the simient, and those memories will be distant memories at some point. Mm-hmm. And Adira will continue to hold those. And I like like I think you're alluding to Gray will essentially become jealous or you know it's like once you taste the power you don't want to give it up <laughs> right yeah and then adira becomes as you pointed out the very good point like adira becomes self-sufficient because his wealth of knowledge from previous host yeah yeah that should be interesting to see where they go with that 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 is an interesting spin cal that i i didn't even think about sweet and kyle yes you, but what you just said, you actually made me looking forward to this storyline because I <laughs> never would have thought of that on my own. Cool. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Jeremy just wants drama. Jeremy does. Jeremy does. And, and let me just add, um, during these sequences where we see Adira and we see Colbert and we see Saru, we get an awesome look at the new 10 Ford slash quartz bar set on discovery, which I think is amazing. Even equipped with dartboard and Ferengi behind the bar. What did you think, Jonathan being the DS nine guy? <laughs> One of my favorite scenes in the episode. Uh, and especially that dartboard, man, if you're not a DS nine fan, you just don't get the dartboard. But if you're a big DS nine fan, like seeing that dartboard was amazing. <laughs> like it just brings back so many different like subplot storylines from DS9 that happened around this dartboard. And that was just great. Like and every time you'd see in DS9, like uh, Chief O'Brien and Dr. Bashir playing like playing darts, like it was always a conversation being had and somewhat of a in-depth, serious conversation. Like that's where they work the problems out. On that dartboard and to see Adira working out this problem on the dartboard made it just that much better. And then you throw in the fact that first time since TNG that we saw a bar on a starship. Right. You can't count DS9 because it was a station. But this is the first time since TNG, the Enterprise, that we've seen a bar on a starship and a Ferengi behind it to top it off. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Simply amazing. Too freaking cool. So let's jump into the other storyline, which we see Book choose to live through his pain. And we get this thing of Stamets and the idea of the DMA, Dark Matter Anomaly. Now, I'm not sure I like that acronym, but we're going to go with it, I guess. The factors that point to a primordial wormhole include gravitational distortions, the shape of the gravitational well, the ability to change direction, the presence of massive amounts of secreted dark matter, with the exception of, obviously, Star Trek tachyons. So Stamets and Book head to the Navarre Science Institute to get help deciphering the data. So I think in the last episode was the first time we saw a real close pairing of Stamets and Book. But it happens again in this episode and it it feels a lot different. It feels like they're getting a bit closer, but I just want to throw it out there to you guys. What did you guys think of this pairing of these two for this episode? Uh, I'm going to need another episode or two of it to develop an opinion. Right. I, I want to say they're forcing it for a reason and we don't know that yet. And it could be done really well or it could be done really badly. <laughs> I hadn't quite decided yet, uh, but. It's probably the least likely pairing I would have come up with through all of our cast. No, I totally get that. For me, it it, it made me feel like Book was more a part of the ship because it seems like up, th- up until this point, he's kind of just been a rogue that's around. And this episode was the first time I really got the sense of, you know, seeing him in uh, work with Stamets. I really feel like he's 
starting to meld a bit more with the crew. And it seems like he actually, even though he doesn't really know the math, 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 and he's kind of just there. <laughs> I feel like it was the first time I really got the sense that he was really kind of getting into the thick of Starfleet. Yeah, I just wish they would have approached it a little differently. I just don't I don't akin book to and I'm not this is not an insult to his intelligence. I just don't akin him to any science, you know, like it's just like oil and water. I don't see him like he's searching for tachyons like that's. <laughs> but I don't see that. And, and, and it's just as much as I agreed with you earlier, Jonathan, I'm disagreeing with you now. I don't think that was the purpose of him being there. I think he was there for his own purpose as as who he was as an as a representative of what was lost and as far as the pairing of the two of them go i think you needed this to further wherever they're going because i see them as two people who ordinarily wouldn't be friends they have nothing really in common but slowly they're going from an adversarial almost that we were talking about last week to a moment that the two characters are having where humanity between the two of them or, you know, connection between two of them, a connection's formed. And I think that's what we saw today or this this episode. You saw this moment that the two of them had where they they – interact as two sentient beings, not as this is my role, that is my role. And I thought that it was really good. Yeah, And I do agree. I agree. I just guess I'm almost on a kind of a petty point of we could have done without him looking for tachyons in that moment. Like everything else I agree with. And I get it. You know, the point they're just trying to find something to keep him occupied and keep him busy. But I wish it wouldn't have been like, let's not let's not make book a scientist just so he can get along but i still don't think he was yeah well let me just interject i don't i don't think that was the point the point was that his planet has been destroyed and just like he was wanted to go within the dma to get the readings in the last episode this episode just give me something to do that's headed toward a solution of this problem I don't care what it is. If it's picking up the paper off the floor, if that's going to help the solution of this problem, put me on it because because we need to figure this thing out, you know? Yeah. And I guess I guess I guess that could work because, I mean, currently the rest of the ship, they're involved in another problem and he's he wouldn't tear away from this initial problem and DMA problem for nothing. So I guess I get it. I guess I get it. Jeremy, what did you think about the idea of book being in such an emotionally distraught state and having to go to Navarre slash Vulcan <laughs> where emotions are almost non-existent. I just personally, I thought the idea of him going there in that highly emotional state to a place where emotions are pretty much ruled out. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. And I, I really loved his interaction with the Navarian president, Tarina. And uh, I thought all that was pretty interesting. So did you have any any thoughts on his trip to Navarre? And you can even get into the mind mill if we want to, as he has to relive the event that destroyed his world. Uh, I liked it because I thought it brought sort of a balance to what he needed. Well, I was going to say this earlier, um, if I can go back just a moment. Stamets is the brains of discovery and Booker, he's the heart of discovery. Ooh, wow. So I like that. Putting- Putting them two together, because they don't always agree. They rarely agree. They rarely work together. They're rarely on the same wavelength. But they're starting to understand each other. Yeah. And they had to do this so they can start understanding each other. They may still, you know, go back to not, I don't want to say not liking each other, but just not really knowing how to correspond with each other. But this will, this brings them closer together. Now, as far as him, he needed... I think he needed that kind of closure of non-emotion so that he can focus on what actually needs to be done and not let his emotions get him into more danger or more trouble than he could potentially get into. Awesome points. Any Anybody else with thoughts about Book's trip to Navarre and the mind mail he had to do with the, the Navarian president? Uh, so I kind of 
I don't know. I half expected this to happen when he decided he was going. He's been having these issues, like accepting what happened and blaming himself and like that. And a purely emotional species, which the Quajanese are like, how do you fix that? And the best way to fix that will be with the help of someone who has learned to totally control the same level of emotion. Mm. So we know Vulcan's emotions. They, I mean, you know, usually you think they're emotionless, but they're not, as she's pointed out. Like Vulcan's emotions are tons and tons time stronger than most any species, but they've learned how to control those. So I knew when they decided book was going, like I kind of knew this was going to head toward a mind mill. And I think it was done greatly, but there is going to be some repercussions to this mind mill. Mm. And you could see it in like, you could see it in her face when she finished the mind mill. And I don't know what that's going to be, but there's got to be a repercussion of, I mean, usually they mind mill with like just with a normal human after a mind mill, a Vulcan is kind of, it kind of affects them a little bit. Like, Sometimes they have to go back and do some meditation to kind of control themselves because they kind of put themselves in the mind of an emotional creature. So imagine putting yourself in the mind of a Quajanese person whom built on strong emotions. Like, I don't know who is going to be more affected by this, but there's going to be repercussions. I promise you. So so interesting. And I know Cal may want to interject, but let me just say this real quick. Interesting. Our friend Tasha Pierce read this totally different. She read it as that Tarina was holding back something after the mind mill, which she kind of ended rather abruptly. Didn't it feel like she ended it kind of quick? Like she saw something but didn't want to say anything? I'm not really convinced, but maybe she saw something that she didn't want to tell. Oh, yeah. Now, definitely I did get that as well. I did get that as well. She saw something and she's not saying it. I definitely did get that, but I'm, I think this mind mail is going to affect her too. And maybe he's going to pick up on it after the fact. Now he may, now that last statement that you just said, he may figure out that she might be lying about something. Now that may be it, but as far as it affecting one of them, I think they've got too much going on to have that storyline. I'm not saying that's not a good point. I'm just saying I just don't think they'll go that way. But I did feel like she was holding something back. And if he can sense that she's holding, that might be an interesting route. So you may be spot on right there. Yeah. And and I do love how this mind mail was both informational and cathartic for Book. It 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 led him or it allowed him to get closure. And it allowed us to maybe get some more information on what this DMA actually might be. So I found all of that interesting. I love the trip to Navarre. I love their little platform in the sky, whatever it is. I thought it looked really cool. <laughs> but let's go to the big storyline of the episode. And that is the rogue Quatmalot. So we start with Commander Frickett not choosing to live, but at least... She asked him nicely, I guess. Things kick off with the USS Credence is en route with a dilithium shipment, but is attacked when it lowers its shields to transfer the dilithium to the planet. John, you are all about that combat. What did you think about this surprise visit from the Quatmalot? Oh, obviously, I was excited about that. Uh, I love the Quatmalot storyline through Picard and this uh, just just because of the combat, obviously, uh, and the sword plays. Great. I, I do have one small issue with this scene uh, <laughs> when she kicked the commander and then he like hit the floor and obviously jumped across the room. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice it. Watch it. You'll see like hits the floor. You can see he like it, it was trying to make it look like she kicked him all the way across the room but he like hit the floor midway and then like lunged from that position across the room into the wall oh lord <laughs> but, hey, but Frank was kind of wrecking shot for a minute though I'm like this dude is killing it <laughs> yeah he, he was on it now he was on it he was fighting oh, I like it I love it I love it I love it so moving on we learn the attack was carried out by the Kwamalot non-Javina and we see where the Federation president, Relic and the Navarian president, Tarana, Tarina, 
I can never say her name. The Nigerian president, Tarina, proposed a joint mission to apprehend Javina. Mama Burnham is back. Mama Burnham is back. And she thinks Javina is acting on behalf of a lost cause. This is where things get swirling for me. And I'm going to throw this to you, Cal. And it's all about this lost cause thing. Does a co-op lot lost cause just give them carte blanche to do anything? And we definitely see where, and you mentioned it earlier, that it's all in service to a lot of political ties. The reason maybe she won't be treated as a criminal in this situation. But what do you think about this lost cause thing and Shouldn't there be limits when it comes to what you can do when you're trying to help another person or being? But see, I think you hit on it when you referenced the political aspect, because my answer was going to be before you said that I was going to respond immediately and say, it depends on who you ask. Mm. And even in the story, I think it depends on who you ask, because if you were to ask Mama Burnham, as we're calling her. (laughs) <laughs> she would say, absolutely. It's because this is our, these are our beliefs. This is the way we do things, et cetera, and so forth. If you ask daughter Burnham, she's going to say, no, absolutely not. This is XYZ and one, two, three. Likewise, if you ask the president, so you see what I'm saying? It yeah. depends on who you ask is the answer to, or is the answer that you get. Now, if you're asking me, I think that's a hard question because it's it's hard to put myself into the shoes of knowing that this person nursed me back to health, mm. was there whenever I need, and I saw this person for who they were, and I just can't see this see this person as being a cold blooded killer, not absolving this person. But you see where I'm going with yeah, that, definitely. So it's all in context to me. And you're you're exactly right, Kyle. It's just it's kind of I mean, look at how the Federation was viewed after the burn. Like it's just it's all a matter of perspective and what side of it you're on. I mean, if you were I mean, let's just say, for instance, if Earth were in the same situation for whatever reason and everybody on Earth were in cryostasis pods and it was the same situation like in Kuat Malat person came to save them and doing the same thing we'd be on board with it and we're like why are you trying to stop this person mm. but we're we're looking at it from the other side of it as and from the outside looking in and it's just hard to judge it jeremy does the cause outweigh the moral implications of killing a commander you know i'm going to be probably in the minority but i'm going to say yes mm. because i feel like if you feel strongly enough you'll do by any means necessary to get the job done and if someone, if, if you hold that belief firm enough and someone stands in your way, you're going to do what you have to do to accomplish your goal. It may not be right, but I, it, may, it may not be right to everyone else, but to your own self. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And a Starfleet commander to the Quat Malat is no different than a freighter captain. You know, to us and to Starfleet personnel, like that's a big deal. But if you're not part of the Federation and the Federation has not been a big part of the galaxy in so long, like in her eyes, it's not that big. Is it wrong? Yes. And I'm sure she thinks it's wrong. But I mean, to weigh options and consider that like a line to be crossed, I don't think so. Yeah. And I think for me, where I start to get fuzzy on all this and start to think the she's she's wrong in this situation. Javen is wrong in this situation is the fact that I know we gave an excuse why she couldn't just ask for the dilithium, but I'm pretty sure she could have went through the Navarian government and acquired some dilithium. I'm, it, it, it just seemed like the most extreme way to get this done, which she gave an excuse. She didn't want to give the location because I guess she was scared. Somebody might try to do something nefarious to the rest of the people that are there in cryostasis. But I just feel like this is like the worst possible way to to execute this mission. So, John, I want to throw it to you to talk about the president, President Relic, and playing politics. And I think coming away from this episode, I felt like she was she's even more shady than I would have thought before. And 
I don't know. I, I don't know how to frame her character. Do you have any additional thoughts coming away from this? I think that Burnham, her opinion of, of Rillick is going down from episode to episode. But, but what did you think of this playing politics in this episode? Um, I don't know. I had I haven't really formed an opinion. Although I have, I I think she was better this episode. Hmm. Like I uh, at, right at this point, I believe she has the best interest of the Federation at heart. But she can only look at that through what she knows, and that's politics, which is why she's the president. Yeah, true. And we've seen that, and I mentioned this before, and like. There's only one or two episodes throughout Trick where we get a lot of president screen time. And that was a DS9 episode when they thought the Jemadar was going to attack Earth. And there was a lot of discussion about what to do and how to protect Earth. But the president was very concerned about how he looked politically more so than how how they were going to protect earth, which in that particular instance, he was right because somebody, there were some more plots going on that shouldn't have happened. But that being said, like, I, I think the only example of a Federation president was actually showing a person that was more politically motivated. And I mean, why not? Like, I think that's just what you get. You have a politician as a president. Obviously that's what their life is built around. That's what they do for a living. Everything is politics. Everything they look at is political. I don't think she's, being nefarious i just don't think she's looking at the whole picture i'm going to agree with everything you said up until the last very very last thing you said about not seeing the whole picture i'm not quite sure she's not but i think she's weighing not for her own personal gain i don't see anything nefarious as of yet but i am seeing someone who knows how to play the game and the game right now is we need the Navarre to be in the Federation. And that's the end game. That's the mission. The, the morality of the mission be damned, basically. What we need is Navarre. You were looking at the greater, not the smaller. Right. And I, and I mean, and, and she's not wrong. Like, I agree. I agree with every call she made and every statement she made in this episode. And if I were in her position, I would have thought about it the exact same way. And I, to just, I don't want to jump to the end, but Admiral Vance's analogy, I think, described it perfectly. Well, that's the part that worried me the most. And it, it makes total sense. She is running things. They serve at the whim of the president, but she's conducting everything. And that, I, I don't like that idea of her well, I mean, why not? I mean, it's the same thing as American politics, right? You have the military, you have you have the political side of it, but you have, in essence, it's one person controlling everything. You know, military gets orders, and it's not necessarily that they know the whole scope of what's going on, but their orders are to attack this or defend this. They don't know the big picture, but they're just going to do what they're being told because they don't they don't have all the information and they don't know what the bigger picture is. But but that being said, I'm wondering if they're trying to put a real world spin on it to maybe relate to recent events in, in human history. Mm, with the, possibly. Yeah, I just don't know. I just don't know. Cal, talk about Tilly in this episode. What the heck is going on with Tilly? You have any idea? I really don't know. I I don't know if they are looking. I like Tilly, and I know I just stopped mid thought. I like Tilly. I like what she is doing with what she is being given. I feel like they're trying to say she is finding her place. Mm. But I think this is the only thing that I would say maybe not be, maybe might not be being executed as well as it should be. I think where they're trying to go is someone they're trying to address self-esteem issues finding your place and growing from there. I just don't know if they're doing it to the best it could be. Hmm. Yeah. For me, it, again, like I mentioned with Adira, I feel like with Tilly, they are going back to season one Tilly in a way. Uh, Cause I even felt at some points in episode Mama Berta was going to like, 
slap up because <laughs> you she did some oh she just act kind see, see john i feel like you felt in the last episode she was kind of annoying to me with the dropping the sword and oh she did something else that was kind of annoying but it was classic tilly it was classic tilly but i think we had grown from there because yeah. we got we got killy last year yeah yeah she had definitely grown with the lead with with uh saru leading her in, in the last season i felt like she had grown tremendously and even from the point from the end of the last season where we see she has has temporary command of discovery i feel like she was growing uh it, it definitely feels like a step back for her but at least they're presenting it as she's trying to get a clarity of purpose so i, I can see it and i want to see where it goes because mm. once once she sat with saru and they kind of talked it out a little bit i was more open to this mental exploration that they're doing with their character. So I have a theory and I, I, I kind of agree with you guys. Like I think she was, she had a lot of growth last season and it seems like she's regressing, which I guess would be an obvious, well, not obvious. It'd be expected regression. If you got to the point, like you had this goal in mind of who and what you wanted to be. And as you started getting closer to it, you realize that, Maybe that was not quite it. Mm. So now she's regressing back to the beginning to try to figure that out. Now, my theory, it seems like they're pushing really hard of her going in direction of becoming quite a lot. I didn't didn't get that at all. I do. Because more than once, she like was really excited about the way they do things. You know, even to the part like absolute candor, she said it twice. Like, you guys are really about that. I really like it. You know, he threw it a sword. She was really excited about it. Well, they made it a point to send her on this mission. And really, I mean, I mean, yes, Saru was trying to help, but I don't see that as being the right solution in this situation. I know they wanted to give her something different to do because that's her goal through this episode. So either... Either it was just the writer's way of making this come to pass, or maybe Saru thinks that that might be a path for Tilly that she needs to explore, which is why he suggested she goes on that mission. And even they even made a point to point out, you know, everybody's trying for combat, but her. Yeah. So, I mean, Saru knew that it's just it didn't it didn't make a good fit unless that was the case. Yeah, well, I, I totally did not get that at all. I I just got the sense that he wanted her to do something different, to shake up the norm, to just break away from the mundane day to day in this new future, which honestly, nothing should be mundane. They're in like a freaking new future. She's just seen new stuff like every day, to be honest. But apparently she's just needs new stuff to shake it up. And Honestly, once she has left her past and left everything she knows, she, you know, she talked about, oh, my mom was here. I would give her a big hug right now. She is very much lost. And I just think this was just one of the things that Saru suggested to just shake things up for her. And I don't think it was much beyond that. I definitely don't think she's going to be a quad lot. Well, she's a lost cause right now. Um, I'm not. Well, I don't want to say a lost cause. And Clarence, I actually saw the comment you just said as a moment of strength because it was her compassion, I think, that took that tense moment and kind of de de stressed it. I know that's not the right word, but you know, just kind of lowered the angst level a bit. So I I thought that was a power moment for her, actually. Yeah, it's funny. The same way I, I think Mama Burnham didn't take her very seriously at points. I feel like Giovanna was like, who is who is this girl y'all got on this away mission? Because <laughs> Tilly was just being Tilly. She was like, I choose to live. I choose to live. <laughs> you know, so um, maybe she was just there for that. And, and we mentioned this last season, I think, that she is able to be more personable to break down walls and bring you, make you more comfortable on the mission. And that's kind of what she did. Uh, however, in a awkward and weird way as Tilly does. All right. Let me say this real quick before we move on. One of the second doctor or the second incarnation of the doctor's strengths 
was playing the bumbling idiot so that you never knew where he was coming from. And that may be a strength of hers was, you know, where she's saying, you know, don't shoot or I surrender. I want to live. I want to live. I want to live. She knew she was the decoy. So she needed to be distract and, you know, focus on me. Don't focus on what else is going on. Distract. Yeah. And can I throw in just a real small thing real quick? I love these uniforms. The tactical. Yeah. The tactical uniforms. That Those are pretty cool. I love that. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty, pretty sweet. So we talked about Burnham and these no win. She doesn't believe in a no win situation. They obviously get the ship back up and running. So the species, which we come to know as the Abronians, can finally make make it to their final destination. I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, 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 Jeremy, what did you think about the Latinum being in the physical composition of these Abronians and, and I guess people robbing their grays for to extract the latinum. I thought that was a pretty unique take on it. And the first thing I thought was that's a Ferengi breeding ground right there. <laughs> how, how they how they didn't know about it, you know, we may never understand. But that my first thought was go to the Ferengi, you know, and their love of latinum. I think you know when I saw when I saw the one latinum ground, I thought I mean we thought of species eight four seven two yes. as well. Yes. Mm. Same eyelids, same body structure, and they're telepathic. Mm. It's just the head didn't quite match. And the body being uh, like the biomatter of the body having having latinum didn't quite match. But I did some research, a little research before we started recording. uh, And there's actually a number of books, novels, uh, where Species 8472 were the main antagonist in it. And there's a lot of information about Species 8472, and there's even some mention about Species 8472 using latinum and converting it to biomatter. Mm. So Species 8472 can convert any known material into usable biomatter. That's interesting. So with that, we'll just go ahead and get ratings for the episode and let's start with you, Cal. What did you think? You know what? I'm going to give it, I think I'm going to give it a four. It was not, you know, the edge of your seats, but it was not some other things that I won't talk about. So <laughs> I will say it is a solid four for me. All right. Jeremy, what do you think, man? I, I want to go for a four as well. Like it, it was, it was a very, it was a good episode. Don't, don't get me wrong, but it just didn't. To me, propel the overall plot of the season long. It just kind of filled in the holes that were already there. But you know, it was it was needed and it was good. So I'm going to give it a four. Yeah, and I will go next. I'm going to give it a four too. I thought it was a great episode. I do feel like it pushed the season along, but there are definitely more things to be revealed as we 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 go on throughout the season. So I give it a four. John, what about you, man? Uh, man, I. I... This is getting rough. Um, I won't have to give it a five. I had no complaints. Wow. I had no complaints. I love this episode, man. I absolutely love this episode. I have no complaints. Wow. There you go. Five from John. (laughs) And I will say real quick, it was another stellar performance from David Ajala. Because when he comes out of that mind meld, he had that look again. He had this one tear. <laughs> How's this guy doing that? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, so great acting all around, I, I feel. So, yeah, I, good good, good call. Good call. So, with that, we are going to wrap it up. If you have any thoughts on the episode, you can always send that in to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. And you can also use those outlets to respond to Trek Trivia. John, what do you have for us this week, man? Ah, so, we'll see how common knowledge this is. I had no idea till I kind of stumbled upon it uh, this week. Uh, so, the Klingon language, as you guys know, is a really in-depth language, and there is actually Klingon dictionaries around. You can actually, if you have the time to study, you can actually speak an entire, you can learn this entire language and communicate with others. Now, that was created for Trek 
in the first Star Trek movie in 1979, do you know who created the first Klingon words? Mm. A Klingon? <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs> Cal, you win the internet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have no idea. No idea. So, I'll give you the answer. The first Klingon words were made by the actor James Duhon, who who played Scotty on our beloved Enterprise. Uh, so they had a scene in that movie where there was going to be the first Klingon word spoke, and the person that came up with those first few sentences and phrases was Scotty. Mm. And after Gene Roddenberry heard it, he brought in a linguist, Mark Okrand, who further developed it into a full language. Yeah, you can actually go to Google Translate, type in your English, and convert it to Klingon. Are yes. you serious? Yeah. Wow. That, that's how I figured out the Wedge Dudge uh, title was Three Ships. Ah. So you can yeah. get, I mean, there's hardcore trickies that will have a whole conversation in Klingon. I'm not yep. one of those, but it happens. Cool. Good Good trivia, John. As always, you, you bring the heat. Why did I just get a, or why did I just get an image for some reason of our other co-host Carrie saying Takumba or whatever? <laughs> but with that, we'll go ahead and end the episode. We appreciate each and every one of you listening, and until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe. Adventure. Your traveling companions are fellow fans of Doctor Who. That's right, it's the podcast Discussing Who, exploring the worlds of Doctor Who, past, present, and future. Find out more at discussingwho.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com. <laughs>